Hello and welcome to Capital Ideas. This is where we sit down with Democratic members of the Washington State House of Representatives to give listeners an inside look at important aspects of how their citizen legislature works and who and what it's working for. Our guest today is State Representative Tina Orwall. Tina represents Washington's 33rd Legislative District, a South King County district that includes SeaTac, Des Moines, Normandy Park, and large areas of both Burien and Kent. Before running for office in 2008, Tina focused her energy on strategic planning in health care and workforce development, affordable housing efforts, advocacy for military veterans, and developing a number of public-private partnerships. In Olympia, she serves as assistant speaker pro tem of the House of Representatives, presiding over much of the floor action in that chamber. As a member of the House leadership, she's got a seat on the Rules Committee, which decides which bills will make it to the House floor, and her policy committees include Early Learning and Human Services, Education Appropriations and Oversight, and Judiciary. And just to make sure she doesn't find herself with any spare time, she co-chairs the Joint Committee on Veterans and Military Affairs. If you've listened to Capital Ideas for a while, you may remember Tina's first visit in the summer of 2010. Welcome, Tina. I appreciate you joining us again on Capital Ideas. It's been a couple of years since we've spoken. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The last time we talked, you were just wrapping up your first term as a state legislator. You've been here four years now. You're not the new kid on the block Mm -hmm. anymore. What is different? You know, there's an incredible learning curve when you first start. And what I've really realized is it's all about relationships, just like any employment opportunity. You have to build those relationships and trust, and you have to understand how the process works. And I feel like that's really what I've gained over the last four years is a great respect and understanding of the process. The last time we talked, you were vice chair of the Human Services Committee here in the House. Now you're a member of House leadership. You're the assistant speaker pro tem. I think most people don't realize who aren't a part of the legislature that There are essentially two paths that a legislator can take if she's interested in moving up, so to speak, within her caucus or the legislature as a whole. On one hand, there's the path that heads toward a committee chair. You were on that path last session as vice chair of the Human Services Committee. That title of chair is highly coveted by a lot of people. On the other hand, another road goes towards caucus leadership, which I think you could call management positions within the caucus, and and in this case, it's the majority Democratic caucus. Some people go both ways, Mm -hmm. back and forth during their legislative careers. But now, as a member of leadership, at what point did you make a decision to to pursue that path? Well, after my, my first term, I made a decision of whether I would continue to be a vice chair of a committee or not, or whether I wanted to go down that other path. And so it was very conscious when I ran for that other position as assistant speaker pro tem. You know, both are incredible opportunities, but I felt so drawn towards uh, really working the leadership path and really the speaker pro tem. You know, it's so important to me that every voice be heard, and I have such respect for the institution, the process. So I really just felt drawn to that other path. I'm fortunate that I also get to be one of the co-chairs of the Joint Military and Veterans Affairs Group. And so I get to do a little bit of both. But uh, I clearly was drawn to that other path. What is it like to stand up there in front of the State House of Representatives? This is a state that the history goes back to the 19th century. The Capitol's been around for nearly 100 years. It must be a pretty daunting sensation as well as thrilling to be up there. But in your words, what is it like to stand up there with the gavel in your hand and 97 other faces out there? You know, it's very humbling. And I remember the first time I did it, you do feel kind of the weight 
of the process and the years that is this institution has been here, and you want to hold it to that standard. You want to make sure that the debate really allows all voices to be heard and that you honor all the people that served before us. And so I do, I feel that weight when I'm up there. It's also more complicated than it looks, too. But uh, people have been so kind to me as I've learned to do that. And the more you do it, the more you get comfortable with the different roles in moving of the bills. But it's an incredible honor. Absolutely. It looks like conducting an orchestra (laughs) when someone is watching from the wings. Mm Mm-hmm. There's definitely a technical side to it as well of what kind of bills and how they're moving. And so you're trying to really keep the flow going as far as people speaking and remarks and making sure you do all the technical things. So it is a bit of both. But luckily, there's a great team of people that help you every step of the way. And so that's been a very good experience for me. Have you had the experience of having to gavel anybody down? That was so hard. The first time I gaveled someone down, and I feel especially hard if there's freshmen or new legislators and they don't know the rules yet. I always feel like I want to give them a little bit more slack. But it is important that you follow those rules and that we all work within the same set of rules. And so I do at times have to gavel and I try to be very clear of why and I use that very carefully, very carefully when I do. Moving towards House leadership doesn't mean that you abandon policy bills. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you work for your district. Mm -hmm. You work for the whole state. And you came down here with priorities as a state legislator. You seem to have several irons in the fire this year, more than you did as a freshman. Let's talk a little bit about some of your bills. And I think we should probably start with the Foreclosure Fairness Act. Yeah, well, I've been working on it several years, and we passed a major change to our foreclosure laws last year, and it really was based on the need. Kent, which is in my district, had one of the highest rates of foreclosure in the state. And we found is the process wasn't fair for homeowners. They could actually just get three pieces of paper in the mail and lose their home. They didn't have a right to a face-to-face with the bank or to have their story heard. And so I felt that those laws needed to change to provide that level of protection. And so we did create this very complex set of laws. And now we have hundreds of homeowners that are having the sale of their foreclosure stopped so they can have mediation and have their voices heard. And this year you've expanded upon or moved a little bit forward from the original bill. Is that correct? Right. We're trying to make sure the process works as effectively as it can. As any large law, we had some trouble with immunity because the mediators were feeling at risk to be able to conduct these neutral meetings. And so we just want to make sure it's working as effectively as we can. We're still in a foreclosure crisis. But um, the good news is even since the bill has been implemented, we've gone from 10th in the nation to 25th in the nation, and things are starting to stabilize. And I think stabilizing the residential market is key to stabilizing the economy in Washington state. You've also been active in attempting to pass some laws that would combat sexual exploitation of women and children. It was very sad when I learned that CTAC, which is in my district, has the highest rate of child trafficking in the United States. And so I've been working several years with law enforcement to understand what can we do. And it really is almost a cultural shift that needs to happen and a greater awareness that it is occurring. A lot of people think child trafficking, they think other countries. They don't think it's happening in our community, and it is. And it's not just these victims from other countries. These young women from our middle schools and high schools in my area are being victimized. 
runaways are being victimized. And so I teamed up with law enforcement and social service agencies to really try to create a bill that gives law enforcement more tools and at the same time help these young victims transition out of this commercial sex trade. A lot of times when people think of prostitution stings, etc., they think of prostitutes being walked into a police station. Your angle on this is to concentrate enforcement on the people who are doing the exploitation. And that's a huge shift. What we find, and even if you look at 18 or 19-year-olds that are on the commercial sex trade, most start at the age of 13, 14, or 15. Many, 80%, were sexually abused as kids. So these are victims. And the law enforcement uh, that I've worked with, they realize this too. They don't want to arrest these young women. They want to help them get out. But until we address the bigger community or societal issue about what behavior is going on in our community, we really can't stop it. They found in one study that 50% of the users or Johns are married with families. They're having two lives, and we need to shine some light on this and get them to choose a different lifestyle that doesn't hurt them and their family. At the same time, help these young women uh, and get them off the streets. On to another weighty subject. You've been working on suicide prevention. Mm -hmm. You know, my background's in mental health. So I've worked many years in community mental health. And one of the surprising things is that professionals that work with people with mental health issues aren't required to have any training in suicide assessment, treatment, or management. Yet I think there's, by the general population, an inferred competence that we do know these things. Our state has a 10% higher rate of youth suicide than the national level. We have a a spike in suicide with the men and women coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. And a lot of our National Guard and their their families are going to go to community providers. And we need to make sure they're trained, that they're trained in suicide, that they understand military culture, PTSD. And so this bill is really to increase the training of mental health workers, uh, primary care doctors, and really the whole field so that they understand and can help people more who are suicidal. How is this moving along in a session when people who are generally critical of government anyway are saying that legislators should only be doing one thing this year? They should be writing a balanced budget and they, they shouldn't be spending time on other things as if you're not capable of walking and chewing mm-hmm. gum at the same time. Well, you know, every life is precious. And really this legislation is about saving lives. You know, I think we're just realizing that there is something we can do that actually doesn't have a fiscal note. I mean, it really is about taking the training professionals already get and making sure a portion of it is really essential suicide assessment training. And so I would say, I don't want to wait. We have all these men and women coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. They need our help now. They don't need us to wait two or three years as their families are in crisis. We need to be here for them now. You've got a bill that deals with car theft. What happens after a car heads to a chop shop and gets divided into 87 pieces that end up in various places? Could you talk a little bit about that legislation? Yes. Well, South King County has some challenges, and we actually have some very high crime rates around auto theft and a number of rings that are being investigated for just this process of stealing cars and then selling off the parts. And our detectives are saying that three years isn't enough time to really track down all these parts that would take down these rings. And that's the current statute The current statute, statute of says they have three years to complete the case, and they're just finding, you know, sometimes it takes two or three years 
years just to find initial parts. And they don't want to shut down their investigations. You know, three years of our taxpayers and their time and energy when they're so close to actually taking down a major ring. So they ask, can we expand that from three to six years so that these complex cases can actually come to a closure and we can send more people to jail and prison who are doing these crimes? Is this moving along? It is. I think it should be probably in rules pretty soon, and we're hoping it continues to move through the process after that. You have another bill that you've been working on this year about adoptee rights. Could you explain a little bit about that bill? Yes, this bill is really to help adoptees access their original birth certificate. That certificate, as we all know, has critical information about the day you were born, about who you are, about your background. And this is information that's really important to a lot of people who have gone through the adoption process. The bill actually this year had a very interesting turn. I ended up teaming up with Representative Ann Rivers, who is a birth mom. And we really worked hard to balance the rights of birth moms and the rights of adoptees. And one of the pieces we add that I'm really excited about is making sure people have their medical histories. Because I'm adopted, and I've been asked by several doctors, you need your medical information, and I have no way of getting that information. So I really hope that we're going to help a lot of people and a lot of families by having the ability for them to get this information. Let me switch gears a little bit from talking about specific bills to just asking a question that I think is interesting to many people, which is, how do you choose bills? Every day, a legislator will be asked to sign on as a co-sponsor of this or that bill. And also, there are bills that people ask you to prime sponsor. There are bills that you decide you want to prime sponsor on your own. How is that decision made? Because you can't sign on to everything. Mm -hmm. What is the process for deciding where your energy is going to be spent? The most important process for me is when I'm in the community and I'm talking to people and I'm really trying to understand what the issues of the district are. And that has given me my marching orders from day one. When I went around to the community and I heard all these homeowners that couldn't get their their loans reconfigured, I knew I needed to work on foreclosure. When I worked with law enforcement and they tell me what the challenges are to do our their jobs to keep our community safe. I know that's something I need to work on. And I had one year where I worked on Hanson Dam because we had some issues of of safety and insurance issues. And so it's really important that whatever I work on be important to the district or to the state. And I also tend to do more of my own bills with stakeholder groups because I like to have the ability to bring in all the experts and work on the bill when we're not in session to make sure it's a strong bill when I come that year. And so I I actually probably start more of my bills than than most. Well, this leads into my last question, which is, assuming you come back in 2013-14, what are you looking at? Again, I'm going to learn a lot this summer of what I need to look at. And I will talk to probably thousands of people in the community to hear what's going on in my community. Um, there are certain issues that I tend to work on. I like to work on things to make sure there's social justice and fairness. There's a lot around education that I started this year around Running Start and other programs where we're finding not every child has the opportunity to go through those programs in my district. So I'm going to spend all summer looking at the education system and see how it's working for all the kids. And that will be one of my priorities as well as what the community members tell me that I need to be working on. Thank you very much. As usual at this point, I'll ask if there's anything that we haven't touched on that you would like to get included in this Capital Ideas podcast. 
you know, I just want to say it's just been amazing four years to have the opportunity to serve and the things I work on. You know, I really, you know, I work on them because I believe they'll make a difference and they'll help the people in my community, and I just will really enjoy serving. Thank you. That's today's program. Subscribe to this podcast now and spend a few minutes a week with Capital Ideas. After all, this is your state government, and the more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats.